we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John this morning, and we'll be in John 17, where we've been unpacking the final prayer that Jesus is praying over his disciples. So this is just hours before his arrest and execution, and after several hours of giving his parting words and and instructions to them, uh, telling them about the world that is to come, uh, Jesus ends their time by praying for himself, first of all, and the cross to come, that he would be glorified and would glorify the Father. Then he moves outward from there and begins praying for his disciples, who are gathered right there in the room with him. And then he moves outward from there and begins praying for his future disciples, the ones who are yet to come, including you and me. And this is what he prays in John uh, 17, picking up in verse 20. Uh, He says, my prayer is not for them alone or just for these disciples in front of me. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they might be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And as we um, read these verses and we got to this point in the Gospel of John uh, several weeks ago, we decided as a church to slow down and uh, talk about what it looks like for us to be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. That he prays for this complete unity among his followers who are yet to come. Uh, And so we've been asking over these weeks, why is unity in the church so important? Because often we can think of that as a peripheral issue, but for Jesus, it's not. So why is this such an important issue? Uh, And what are some potential places of disunity that we need to talk about and overcome? So two weeks ago, we interviewed Matt Lewis on socioeconomic unity or unity among classes. If you were here last Sunday, you know that we talked about political unity, which is always fun. Uh, And this Sunday, we're going to end our discussion with a conversation on racial unity. Uh, Joining me in a moment is Mr. Rodney McAuley, uh, who for decades has been a follower of Jesus, a pastor, a spiritual leader within the church. He is currently the director of the Bridge Project and has been doing reconciliation work in our city for over 30 years, which is about as long as I've been alive. Uh, The plan for this morning is for me to interview him, and then we're hoping to have some time at the end for Q&A. So if you have questions on this topic or you hear things that get brought up during the interview, uh, we're going to make some time and space for you to ask some questions. In the meantime, please join me in welcoming Rodney McCauley. Awesome. Rodney, thanks so much for for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me this morning. And right off the bat, since he made that remark about elder, uh, remember (laughs) to respect your elders. Yes. Yes. Lots of respect for you. Uh, In fact, for those of you who don't know Rodney, if you think of what an elder is in the church, now that you've said that word, Rodney is essentially an elder for our city. Um, uh, among the whole spiritual community here in Spokane. So, uh, so nice to have you here with us this morning. Maybe we can start sort of with a big picture. Uh, tell us about you, some of your story, how, how you got passionate about racial reconciliation and racial unity within the body of Christ. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to do oh, that... Just, if you hold the mic up. Yeah, okay. My wife tells me all the time, Rodney, you talk too low. <laughs> Simba. Remember who you are. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. <laughs> T- to help me frame and be concise, because I have a tendency to ramble, uh, I asked um, Pastor Matt if he would put up a slide um, to assist me. And that slide is up. 
There it is. 753. Um, the seven, um, there are three mantras that I have that, that frame who I am. Uh, the seven is continuous, covenantal, courageous conversations, create caring communities. And there's a drop down screen for all of those, which I reserve the right to recall the witness later. So as we have conversations, we'll unpack that um, as the Lord allows going forward. And seven is also the number um, scripturally of perfection or completion, something like that. And the five, which is the number of grace, um, carries with it the idea that um, I have been, my wife and I have been called to the ministry of reconciliation around the scriptures. Um, race, social, economic, race, denomination, social, economic, gender, and generational lines. And that's intentional. And then the three, which is also the number of completion or wholeness, um, is representative of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's also representative of a mantra that we have, which I'll unpack a little bit, hopefully, that is, in essence, get all you can, can all you get, but then share the can. Old song said, you can't beat God giving no matter how hard you try. The more he gives, the more he gives to you. So just keep on giving because it's really true. It all belongs to him, doesn't it? And we're just stewards. So having said that, um, I bring you greetings on behalf of my wife and I. Um, Leslie, who is the preacher in the family, she is uh, retired from um, 25 years uh, with Social Security Administration, and she is currently associate pastor at Emmanuel Church, um, where we had, we've been attending for the last four years, and we are connected with Matt through uh, Pacific Northwest Church Planning Network. Um, so even at this age and stage of my life, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be and what I'm going to do when I grow up. But I don't want to go up because I'm a Toys R Us kid. All right. Yeah. So um, Leslie and I have, if the Lord allows, we will have been married 46 years July 1st. Okay. Yeah. That's a good thing. And I'm still being trained. Uh, just so you know, fellas. Um, and I'm originally from Tacoma, Washington. And my wife is literally straight out of Compton. <laughs> Okay, now that might trigger some things for you, but you know, they say you can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. Um, and uh, we met in Pullman, Washington, of all places. Okay, and my first job out of school was here in Spokane, which is how we came to Spokane. Uh, we were here for four years, um, and then uh, we left Spokane saying good riddance for reasons that we can unpack later. Um, and we um, successively moved or lived in um, Chicago for four, New York for four, non-military, and then came back to Spokane kicking and screaming. Left saying good riddance because quite truthfully and honestly, transparently, uh, for us being outsiders in so many different ways, um, it was not a friendly place. Uh, was not a welcoming or opening place for us as outsiders, but God um, in the mid-90s um, bit us with the bug of being the answer to um, Jesus' prayer in John 17. Reconciliation, Father, make them one even as you and I are one in order that the world might believe that you sent us. Um, so here I am, child of the Jim Crow South, um, who's been in Spokane now for the last 33 years, um, contending for seeing uh, the transformation of this place wherein I have been led captive. Spokane is our Babylon, Jerusalem. The Babylonian reference is seek the shalom of the place wherein you have been led captive or bloom where you have planted. And the Jerusalem piece is Acts 1, 8, where it says, you shall be my witnesses, first where I have planted you, but then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Um, so I'm here as part of a journey of discovery and learning collaboratively um, to see in Spokane as it is in heaven. 
right here from this corner and beyond. Amen. That's a long introduction, but I, I gave a whole lot, okay? But for those of you that, that know me or know of me or will get to know me, um, again, that's just a preview of coming attractions, as the Lord allows. So is that okay? Yeah. At least for no, intro? That, that's okay. great. Yeah. So you mentioned that you and your wife felt called to Sp- back to Spokane, uh, particularly in that context of seeing greater oneness and unity within the church. Uh, what has that looked like over the last 33 years? What, what shapes has that taken? Yeah. What's the journey look like for you in, in this okay. city? Yeah. Uh, is anyone here familiar with the promise keepers? Yeah, blame the promise keepers. Okay, <laughs> blame what the Lord did through the promise keepers. Are anyone familiar with Lasan? That's okay, L-A-U-S-A-N-N-E, the Lasan movement that was initiated in 1974 through Billy Graham. Um, was updated in 1989 um, at Manila, and then was updated further um, in 2010 um, in South Africa. But and in essence, that movement, which is still underway, um, is calling for the whole church, the whole gospel, to the whole context. Um, and so beginning with the Promise Keepers, um, when they landed in Spokane um, in 1995, um, I got involved and engaged um, and I hadn't been able to shake it. We haven't been able to shake it. Um, there were seven promises of a promise keeper, one, and, and one of those promises was race and denominational unity, um, and it was a movement that was pursuing seeing the social location transformed by the expression of the full body of Christ across all of our differences, theological, sociological, and even though that movement has subsided and gone different ways, even as we are engaged in the Pacific Northwest Church Planning Network, that movement continues, but it's coming full circle in a lot of ways. Um, and so um, that's, where, that's what Leslie and I are engaged in, is um, building relationships, engaging in uncomfortable uh, situations, um, to see the manifestation of the kingdom of God in our context. So um, part of the way that that has represented itself or manifested itself, uh, we both grew up in the black Baptist tradition, um, and we are still black Baptists in our f- formation, um, but we are not limited to black Baptists, all right? Um, we are what you would call, some would call, uh, well, some would call us mutts, some would call us other things, but we would describe ourselves as Bapticostal. <laughs> okay, yeah. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I become all things to all men that by all means I might reach some. Did he not? Is that the word? Okay. Every tongue, every tribe. And so over time, we have um, engaged in intercultural, cross-cultural ministry and context to where we are too black for our white brothers. We are too white for our black brothers. Did I get that mixed up? Okay. We're too conservative for our liberal brothers. We're too liberal. All right. You see what I'm saying? That we are neither red or blue. We are purple. We're in pursuit of purple. And the purple, red and blue, makes purple. And purple is the color of royalty. All right. And are we not as followers of Jesus? Okay. A holy priesthood. All right. See, so what does that look like? That's a battle. See, so we, you know, I'm a gentle guy for the most part. I'm mostly Malcolm X. Excuse me. I'm mostly Martin Luther King. See, you caught the Freudian slip. Okay. Yeah. See, because I'm a little bit of both. And. All right. And so I'm using those descriptives to describe what it's been and what it is currently um, in Spokane as I are seeking to be obedient to the spirit of the Lord and follow what we believe he's saying in this hour and in this season and at this moment, even as we are on a journey towards the now, but not yet. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So based on your experience and your perspective, um, all of these years in the trenches, in our city, thinking, praying, acting on these things, 
I'm, I'm hoping you could give us a sense of sort of where we're at. Uh, you know, we're, we're in the middle of, of Black History Month right now. Uh, we're on the heels of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And for us in our house, um, we use that as an opportunity to sit with our kids and say, here's where things were, here's the dream, here's what's changed, and here's what hasn't changed. Uh, and even our kids being, you know, half Hispanic, I don't know. You know, we have to, I, we have to say, I don't know, guys, if you're going to, what you're going to see, what you're going to sense, what you're going to face. Yeah. Uh, their experience might be different than my experience. My wife's experience has been different than my experience uh, in America. So just trying to help us get a pull, like a, a finger on that pulse of like, where, where are we at in terms of the dream? What things are going well? even within our city in terms of reconcil- racial reconciliation, what things aren't going well and, and continue to be uh, sort of wounds or problems or areas of disunity. If you could mm-hmm. help us just get a grasp of, okay. of where you think we're at as a culture mm-hmm. and as a city. Okay. Yeah. Again, these questions are like um, give a dog a bone, a hungry dog a bone. <laughs> To offer a cup of cold water, but I got a fire hose. So let me just say it this way. Um, and I forget your worship leader's name and the wife who are leading the worship, but the picture of your four daughters as I came in today um, and the way I was greeted, um, watching your the Jericho March <laughs> around the sanctuary. I don't know if that's what she was thinking about, but that's what I was seeing. Um, that gives me such hope as a grandpa, right, as an elder in the context of the hope um, and who I'm coming to learn that uh, River's Edge is. Um, so that picture is something that I am actually seeing um, become manifest throughout the city, all right? And then I also, on the other end of that, and I won't look at anybody, okay, specifically, but there are at least a couple of folks that are my age or older <laughs> in the room. I said I wasn't going to look, <laughs> all right? And so, but that picture, okay, of the generations, all right, and then each of you, all of you that are in the middle, if you will, the picture of the family of God, if you will, Sankofa, heritage and legacy, that's, that gives me hope. Now, at the same time, there's the challenge, but the challenge is opportunity because as I come this morning to this being the first time that I've been in this location, and even as Matt and I have begun building relationship with each other, um, I didn't know until I looked on the website to be sure I came to the right place where you guys are. And so here's the picture that I get from that. Right across the street is First Assembly, right? Right down the street is Holy Dipple Church of God in Christ. Now I'll just stop right there, all right? Because there I see the picture of opportunity but challenge right now. Okay, because unless I miss my guess, there is not much interaction or relationship or fellowship or neighborliness, even amongst the three churches. Now, again, I apologize in advance, okay, because I'm just making a conjecture and I don't know. But based on what I have lived and see even now with regards to looking at the newspaper every day, for example, all right, I'm, I'm offering a thought and a challenge at the same time. Be reminding us who are now. If I get it correctly, you guys are neo charismatic. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I think I could say yes. You could say well, yeah. See now, and I'm saying I'm saying that based on the journey of discovery that I'm on, and even in terms of finding out who uh, Matt is and who you guys are as a community. All right, and the name Terry Virgo came to mind, and Paul Kane came to mind, so that says a whole lot to me, all right? And, and so um, when I think of that, 
dimension or that thread of who the body of Christ is collectively in our town, all right, I go back to Azusa Street, okay, and, and remember those of you that know the history or those of you that will learn the history that in Azusa Street a century ago, that was the birth, if you will, of the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement. It was a Pentecostal charismatic revival that the color line was washed away in the blood of the lamb was one of the mantras, yeah. right? And so what happened? Okay, the Assembly of God and the Church of God in Christ denominations, all right, came out of that. And I submit that we as the body of Christ are being disobedient to our, what we pray about in John 17 and, and sing about when we talk about unity. How are we representing the love one for another? John 13, 34. By this will men know that you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. Okay, so I'm, I'm going all over the map, okay, but, but there's purpose behind what I'm saying in terms of what I'm seeing and hearing and feeling, and I'm complicit, okay? I have taken the bait of Satan, which is offense, but I'm confessing and repenting it now, of it now, because I see opportunity for us to break it. Somebody in the house feel what I'm saying? Okay, see, now I don't understand if the, if the silence... <laughs> He's used to a little more feedback, and then we typically. So, well, well, yeah, I, I, see, don't I, this, lot, I don't get a lot of feedback. That's, just, well, and see, that's context, okay. Okay, okay. I just that, imagine it in my mind. So. And, and see, and that's okay because because again, my wife and I have been in this town, okay, for thirty three years now. Second tour, non military. All right, and because of our heart and our pursuit, I can go frozen, chosen. <laughs> okay, somebody got that. Okay, yeah, I've been accused of being Presbyterian, which I have to acknowledge, the frozen chosen. In fact, the church that we're at now is sharing space with Shadow Park Presbyterian Church. See, and so I have to be frozen chosen. But every once in a while, okay, there's a fire that is shut up in my bones that comes out from my upbringing. Okay, and so I'm, I'm just as likely to do like Elder Kendall down the street. Yeah! <laughs> Somebody understand what I'm saying. Okay, again, this was not a sermon. This was a conversation. This is an um, And so, again, the cup of cold water, but there's a reservoir, okay, that is available. I'm submitting, and I guess I'm even just projecting, okay, and using my sanctified imagination right now to speak prophetically and praise prophetically to this congregation, okay, that there's no, it's no accident, even that Matt and I have come together, it's no accident that I'm here this morning, okay, in this moment, okay, um, where the worship already messed me up and I told them it was their fault in advance. Didn't I, didn't I say to you, okay, and, and, and I get to meet some of you, all right, so part of the can, can, can is that I'm getting what I can from each of you, even as I look at your eyes, okay, and as we go towards building relationship and say, and so I'm going to steward what I get and I'm going to share what I get, all right, and then I'm, well, I'm going to can all I get, that's part of my reservoir, but then I'm not going to keep it to myself. I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself. May have heard the song, okay, see, so change agents is who we're called to be, all right, and I want to submit to you at River's Edge, Spokane, okay, to be intentional to the extent, again, that you have or have not. Let's represent on this corner and every corner in Spokane, let's see transformation as we build bridges instead of walls. Help, help me get back to where I was supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, so we were talking about just trying to get a, a little bit of a, a handle on like where we're at in this moment. You okay. Know? Like yeah. we, we can see the journey and yeah. there's a lot we could say in terms of the origin of the issue in America of how we got to, you know, yeah. black church and white church and right. kind of the sad history there. Right. Um, we could, I also heard you mention sort of the, the charismatic uh, movement which in some sense we can trace our roots back to, which uh, was part of the solution, which trans we saw a transcendence of class. Yeah. We saw a transcendence of race. And so remembering, wait, this is, this is who we are. When we pray for an outpouring of the Spirit in our city, what do we expect the effect of that to be? Uh, I think that 
that helps put a little bit of context on kind of where we're at right now. Okay. As we say, and, and we could spend a lot more time unpacking the problem, right? The reality that, that racism is still a thing, that the historical um, sadness that has worked itself out in the church is still there and echoing on. Um, as we maybe turn the corner and think about, hey, um, you know, assuming that there's a problem and assuming that we want to be part of the solution, what does that look like? Okay. Like, how do we lean in uh, as, as, as a specific local community? How should we approach this issue? How can we be part of the solution? Okay, I would say start with prayer, praise, and worship. Intentionally, individual, corporate prayer. And I say that in light of the fact that just a couple of days ago, there was a prayer service that was held across the street. And it was under the auspices of a ministry organization or network called Spokane Praise. So, okay. And it, it was one of any number of scattered prayer initiatives that have been over the years and are even currently taking place in our town. But I have to say at the same time that to the extent that it is unintentionally or not intentionally engaging in the collective, that that's where I say we would start, that we would be courageous enough and transparent enough and covenantally related enough to where we would challenge each other, okay, to step in. And I say that because over the years, there have been any number of efforts and initiatives. So I don't mean to go negative, okay, right. but I'm, I'm looking to talk about truth and reconciliation. Okay, so I'm, uh, yeah, so I realize that I'm not um, directly answering your question, but I hope that I am at least pointing out um, a place to start. Right. Okay. Well, what I hear you saying is approaching the issue with a heart of prayer and even a heart to pray together. Together. Right. And, and I think it's okay. I think the truth telling thing is really important. Like part of, part of the issue around racial reconciliation is that there can sometimes be this like, aversion to the truth like we're afraid to go back and just like tell our history and tell the truth mm -hmm. as the foundation for just moving forward of saying yeah this is what happened in america this has been the experience of a large segment a segment of the u.s population and and now we want to move forward in light of that but also telling the truth in terms of hey what's actually working like what's worked like we don't want to just keep trying to do the same things that we've been doing if they're not actually if they're not actually working to bring racial reconciliation and greater racial unity within the church uh is that what i'm hearing you say that, that is what you yeah that is what you're hearing me say um and to elaborate a little bit further mm -hmm. it's not the either or it's the both and okay okay that we um, there are a lot of good things that are happening, but I am just not satisfied with gradualism. I'm not mm. satisfied with the, um, the movement only to a point. I want to see breakthrough, mm. all right? And, and so what I'm suggesting is, is that um, there is a need that is, is stirring in me to the point of not being able to hold back Mm. Um, to say, um, yeah, but, okay, yes, we are moving as the body of Christ here in Spokane um, to address that which has been, but to the extent that we do not break through to how the what has been is still manifesting itself, okay, yeah. Um, you know, different year, different era, but the same spirit, okay, okay, is just completely unacceptable Yeah, to me, all right? And I don't have the specific language in this moment to articulate that, um, which is why I will go back to the um, network of networks, which is the Pacific Northwest Church Planning Movement 
that we're a part of and how through relationships we are embracing what I would call or I borrow from, and you and I talked about this a little bit, um, the historian author Jamar Tisby, who has written a couple of books, one of which in, he, he talks about our complicity as the body of Christ mm -hmm. in the narrative of racial hierarchy. Yes. Okay, yeah. the narrative of racial hierarchy. So mm -hmm. it goes beyond racism. It goes beyond classism. Mm -hmm. It goes beyond militarism. Mm -hmm. It goes into the, the isms that we are all complicit in as followers of Jesus, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and, and to move beyond just talking about it or praying about it, mm -hmm. okay, there's a framework that he offers um, in his second book called The Ark. And mm -hmm. so it's A-R-C, awareness slash education. Okay. The R is relationship. And then the C is commitment, mm -hmm. okay? See, and so I play with all of that. Um, and, and so to be able to contain it into the concise nuggets, mm -hmm. that's why, and I think part of your background is an attorney, right? Yes. So you understand what I'm talking about when I say I reserve the right to recall the I witness. I understood that very well, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, see, so I'm the witness, okay, just representative, okay, of the heart of the Father, I believe, in wanting to see our, our city transformed. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a, a revival that is breaking out, at least according to some reports right now, in Ashbury, Kentucky. Um, and some of you that know revival history may remember that there was in the 70s a an outbreak that started um, at Asbury Seminary. Okay, have you heard the reports about like 80 days, um, or excuse me, 80 hours and counting, at least that last report, to where that's resurfacing? Okay, see, so there's wells of revival that are that are breaking out. We have it even here in our in our in our city. Okay, the elements of it. So anyway, man, let's let's go for that. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, so and I got the reports. Okay. Um, it ain't about me, but I just got to go through me. It's just like it's not about just race, but I got to go through race. Okay, and let's have the courageous conversations that are covenantal to create caring communities about the complicity that exists even in Spokane, this white city, in a white region. Can I say that to somebody? You, might, you may not invite me back, but guess what? I'm still here until the Lord says otherwise. Okay, yeah. See, so let's go for it. Let's go after it. And I need your help. We need each other. Okay, see, because what you're experiencing, even as I'm, I'm here this morning, um, is my triggers. Okay, my trauma triggers. I'm being healed and delivered from my trauma triggers, even as I'm in this place, this safe space, which is River's Edge. I'm like that, you know, guess who came to get the dinner and stayed? <laughs> okay, I'm like that cousin or that uncle, okay, that at the family reunion, you didn't know was going to show up. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm tr okay. No, that that's good. So just trying to to think about that, like you, what I hear is like you describing a heart posture of leaning in, of um, praying for revival, of um, bridging the gap between different churches, different denominations, because of the sad history that we can't even fully unpack this morning. We do have, like you said, there's you know, church across the street that's almost entirely black. There's church next to it that's almost entirely white you know there's so we have a heart posture of saying hey we want we want something that um speaks a better word about the kingdom yeah um to to the culture and and that we live in but you see that coming from you know leaning into this idea of revival and praying and praying together is that what i hear you saying as, as a first yeah. step yes and and then and, and, I, and i would say even to make it more succinct mm -hmm. um reconciliation second corinthians 5 14 through 6 1 okay beginning with the love of christ compels us mm -hmm. okay and he called us to the ministry of reconciliation and the time is now mm -hmm. okay yeah. Six one, uh, so reconciliation across race, denomination, social, economic, gender, generational lines. All right, and city transformation. 
Okay, what might it look like even right now if we take the next step of intentionality and yieldedness to believe that what God has already done and what he has said that we can see it now, the now and not yet. So when I think of revival or transformation, I think of an approximation of consummation right now. Okay, and I'm just hungry and desperate for it to the point of sounding manic and being manic, okay? But thank you for inviting me into mania. Okay, I'm not gonna hit you. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want you to fall. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have other questions, but I think I'm actually, I think if we, you're okay, we I think we yes. should like open it up for Q&A. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that other people have a chance to ask questions. Yeah. And if they're too slow, I'm going to jump in and okay. I'm going to keep asking okay. questions. All um, right. So Nate has a mic and uh, we'll have you speak into the mic just so we know everyone can hear you and, and we'll have that. Uh, so yeah, open it up. Maybe if one or two people want to start with questions. It's we're, we're stepping into, and we hear a bit of the manicness and the just like, I can't talk about all 12 things I need to talk about at once right now. Like we're stepping into a massive subject. So if we had a 10 to 12 week series on this, it would be a lot easier to sort of work mm-hmm. our way through. Mm-hmm. We're just doing sort of a shotgun style. We got one shot this morning. Um, so any questions that you have around racial unity, racial reconciliation, um, how we can step into that as the body of Christ. So stick a hand up and we'll get the mic over. Uh, hi, yeah, I, my name's Andy. Um, so you mentioned the Bridge Project and uh, just how like you need us to help. Um, what are like top three ways, like practical ways that like we can start doing that? Um, whether it be volunteer or, I mean, obviously prayer, um, but like what does that look like practically to, to help you with that, that reconciliation project. Okay. Um, thanks for the question. Do a fresh, a fresh exegesis of the city, starting with the neighborhood. Okay, what I mean by that is do a spiritual mapping. Okay. Um, expand your reading to do you guys do book clubs or I'm a book nerd okay um, and I'm thinking um, learn from folks that you typically would not engage with intentionally identify take a look at who you read and what you read and ask yourself the question, what are the voices that I perhaps to this point have dismissed can speak to what I'm reading about and looking to apply and then find people or spaces where you can do that together. Um, In this context, I would invite you to um, investigate and interrogate um, the East Central neighborhood, um, and specifically the Carl Maxey Center and the Martin Luther King Center in that neighborhood, um, and specifically along the Fifth Avenue Strip. And there's more, but I would um, also um, invite and encourage you to explore the possibility of leaning into what um, I call, um, and I borrowed it, an anti-racism discipleship pathway. Okay, Um, And there is curriculum and curated information and material that I can share that um, would assist in that regard. Okay, but I'm going back to re-exegete our city. Okay, through the lens of the activity historically and even currently um, that has happened and is happening uh, right now in our city. And I can help with all of that. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, yes. I, I think that goes to the awareness piece. I like that simple framework of awareness, relationship, commitment in that order. Yes. Like become aware of what the actual situation is, what people's stories actually are. Yeah. Um, and part of that's even hearing your story this morning and your perspective, yeah. then stepping into relationships and we're going to be friends who walk side by side in Christ together yeah. and then seeing what God does out of that. And be surprised. I, I think with our, uh, if we're too distant and we're too, th that just leaves room for division. It just leaves room for us to just drift in, in different ways. But like stepping yeah, thank into, you for that. And yeah. I saw a hand, and so thank you for oh, yeah, helping ahead. me. Um, again, the awareness slash education, see? And so consider re-educating, re re-discipling, okay? Challenging, okay? Each of your framework, okay? And then building relationship, that's part of hearing each other's stories, not judgmentally, okay, but covenantally, all right, and then walking it out, not just talking about it. Come for the study, okay, but stay for the relationship, and then build on the relationship. Like even my wife and I, 45 years now, never getting into any fights or disagreements or... Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> What's covenant? That's right. We, you know, he who established covenant, he sticks with us. He, you know, oh, one other thought. There is a gentleman by the name of um, Brian Stevenson. Anybody hear the name Brian Stevenson? Okay. Yeah. Equal Justice Initiative. Check him out. Okay. And I will try. Yeah. Check him out. And then let's talk about what you find. Okay. Where he talks about in the recent message addressing the narrative of racial hierarchy through proximity, through changing a narrative, through hope, and then through love. Yeah. Let's talk further about that. And I saw your hand. I'm sorry, dear. Yeah, hi. I'm Becky Wall. And um, I um, worked in Compton for many years. And so I'm very familiar. I'm from that area, kind of. And, um, but I, in moving up here, just a little bit of information, I did a... Um, graduate thesis and part of that was uncovering or discovering the demographics of Spokane area. And this was 30 years ago and at that time it was still, it was 96% white. And that was quite a shift for me coming from Southern California. But <clears throat> my question is, how, what, what kind of fears do you think um, we are experiencing in this process of reconciliation? Because it's, it, there's obviously things that hold us back besides just being racially, um, you know, prejudice or whatever. So I know underneath that there are a lot of fears, and one of them, I think, being that we're going to lose our original identity if we, you know, include everybody. And so I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are about other kinds of fears that may underlie that. I appreciate that question, yeah, really um, and it is fear, okay? And, you know, <laughs> folks say it's false evidence appearing real, all right, and it comes down to narrative, um, and I maintain um, that we're in the midst of an existential war, okay, that is spiritual in nature, um, that is manifesting itself in the natural. Um, and um, part of the fruit of that is even in the ecclesia, the big C church, um, that whether it is within the quote unquote black church, there's division that is more ideological than it is anything else. And I attribute it to being spiritual or demonic, all right, where the enemy who even when he tells the truth is lying. Okay, and that there's a corporate deception, all right? And, and the antidote that I see to that, the prayer, praise, and worship that I mentioned earlier um, brings us into a place of intimacy with him from which all the works of the devil are destroyed. Okay, I come to, or I land in um, 2 Corinthians 10, where the scripture talks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then the 
um, stinking thinking is what I call it, that we all are subject to the stinking thinking, you know, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. Okay, bringing into captivity. That means all of our stinking thinking individually and corporately needs to surface. And I believe that in these last three years in particular, okay, with the triple pandemic, okay, the health, the racial reckoning, and even creation, okay, that's kind of gone amok, okay, that is part of what the Lord is saying. Let the spirit, let he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Okay, and so long answer to your short question, um, my dear, is is that we are engaged in a cosmic existential spiritual warfare. All right, and so we need to fall on our rock and be broke. Fall on the rock and be broken before the rock falls on us, falls on us and crushes us. Yeah, I think that was a really profound question, and I think part of it is like rec- like actually figuring out for yourself like look yourself in the mirror and say what am i afraid of yeah because yeah. if you don't identify that fear it's still going to drive you but you're not really going to know why why do i run from these conversations so i think like a few things that come up for me one um and i have to be really careful about how i say this but there's been a lot of like um like it's it's just been an interesting time to be a white male um, in our culture and to feel like, and this happened from college onward. So I'm talking about like the last decade of my experience, sometimes feeling like you're always on, it's all, it's always my fault. You know, like I, I have caused, I'm the root of racism. I'm the root of sexism. I'm the root of classism. Um, and what that does, like one of those fears then is with like, I want, I would want to withdraw because I say it's not my fault. I am not racist. I did not make those people poor. I did not make those people that I did not enslave anyone. I did not, you know. And so then when I feel accused, then I want to withdraw from the conversation. So there's this fear of like, oh, if I step into that space, I'm just going to be like this punching bag um, for, you know, all the things that are wrong in society. So I have to start by saying, well, that's okay. If that's a fear that I carry, I need to identify that and say, Lord, this is holding me back from honestly entering these spaces in these conversations. Um, and so what does, what, what does that mean? What, you know, how do I navigate that? Or yeah, I'm going to, you know, we're going to lose our individual identities as different races and and ethnicities and cultures. If we come together, Uh, that's my fear. So let's just like talk about that fear. I think like digging a little deeper and if I don't identify that fear, I'm not going to engage and I'm going to shrink back, but I don't even really know why I'm just like, no, I don't want to be in that space where we talk about those things. But once I identify that, uh, I think that's actually the first step to progress is I'm, I'm afraid of these things uh, or what, what's going to be asked of me, you know, uh, am, am I now called to account for everything that, you know, the, the white males of history have done wrong and now it's up to me to pay that back or like, what are we, what are we, so now I'm afraid. So I think like, like, but then that's different than what your fear is going to be entering that, you know, mm-hmm. that same space of reconciliation and other people as well. So I think starting by saying, hey, this is my fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was recently in, in Portland at a pastor's conference, and the keynote speaker was uh, an African-American pastor talking about like, uh, the uniqueness and beauty and power of, of black preaching. And he was uh, relating experience with, this is like modern day right now, uh, his friends inherited uh, a, a house, a home from like his his grandparents who had passed away, and they had to go and change the deed. This is like 2023. He had to go and change the deed because written into the deed, it said this property may not be sold to, and it used the N word to to people of color. And so this is like still on deeds on homes in our in cities in you know 2023. In this is in Chicago, actually. I know. It's oh. in Chicago, but I'm oh, saying oh, in saying. Chicago right now. Yes. Yeah. That, so that was first helpful in saying, whoa, whatever was going on in the past is still, is still deeply ingrained in our culture. But he said something in that moment, because it, it was almost entirely white pastors in the room. And he said, hey, it's not your fault. Like, you didn't do that. And you could just hear this, like, collective deep breath in the room, like, oh, okay. It's not my fault. But then everybody leaned in. It like freed up that fear 
of saying, oh yeah, I didn't write that on the deed, but now we want to be part of the solution. Now we want to lean into reconciliation. Now we want to fix the problem. So that's one example of like identify the fear, re- being released from that fear and, and into the truth. Jesus says, you'll, you know, you'll know the truth. The truth, will, the set truth you will set you free. free. So, yeah. And he also yeah. and see, and that we went deeper than you and I had discussed out of us an appropriate sensitivity and concern that I would just jump too deep too quick. You guys don't know me, all right? See, but but that's part of of where we honestly are, being reminded that the Lord did not give us a spirit of fear, but a right. power, love, and a sound mind. Yes. Okay. See, and that which has a, a bruised reed, He will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench all right and so the apostle paul said to his mentee as i believe he's saying to us to stir up the gift or to fan it into a flame all right and see and i i i as i hear that and i mentioned that i was being trauma uh, triggered by my own traumas all right see and part of the trigger all right it lends itself to you know when we confront fear we either fight or we flee or we freeze or we fawn right okay see and each of us have our own triggers okay but even the intro into this place and space all right is surfacing all right but then diffusing like that pastor did okay that pastor in an all-white audience audience was con was covenantal enough, was courageous enough right. to take the chance to say that, okay, to an audience of dominant culture, but then he said it in a spirit of love and flipped the script mm-hmm. is what I'm hearing you describe, right. yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. and that's part of what we got to practice, recognizing that each of us have our own, you know, there's PTSD, do you guys know what PTSS is? Post-traumatic slave syndrome. Pause for effect. Okay. And I know we're running out of time. Yeah. I know we're running out of time, but there was another question. I don't know. So you no, better take I, this I, mic away from me, bro. No, I, yeah, we will, we will eventually, but not yet. Uh, I'm hoping we can do one or two more questions. Just before we move on, another, like, and we don't, I have time to say this without fully unpacking it, but another fear that I think we have as, like, a non-denominational evangelical church is and this again goes back there's a long history here but there's this weird split that's happened in our country that has not happened in other western nations but there's this weird split where the people who are increasingly passionate about justice and social change have watered down and compromised their theology and the people who said no we're going to stand on the clearest most accurate theology we can then have kind of withdrawn from that arena of like activism, social change, all of that. And so oftentimes, and I think we saw this in the aftermath of like George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter, you know what it is, Black Lives Matter movement and everything that was happening, it was like, I think a large portion of evangelicals kind of froze because the conversations were being championed. It's like the church left this vacuum for activism and justice. We kind of withdrew from that arena and somebody else stepped in and said, well, we'll run with this. But then you get into this weird space where you're like, well, now if I step back into that arena, it's like under a voice that I don't necessarily like know or trust. And so we get caught, I think, in terms of like, let's hang out in a camp with accurate theology that maybe doesn't necessarily do a lot in terms of social justice and social activism. And um, to be blunt, kind of leans right or there's this other camp that typically leans left that's, that's increasingly passionate about getting out there and doing things and protesting and changing the world, but have watered down their theology. So that's like another fear we have to navigate. When you say, like, what's holding us back? Like, we have to reclaim the sacred tradition of followers of Jesus that never divorced those two, that said, my accurate theology drives me to be an agent of change in the world. I, I cannot, you know, I have that fire in my bones. I cannot believe that and not act on it. And that's, that space is sort of evaporated. And so there's this fear of like, how do I engage without just like, you know, con- you know giving up you know, watering everything down and going that direction. So we don't have time to fully unpack that. But that's like, okay, let's identify that as a fear uh, and then work around it. And then be courageous. Yeah. The Lord said to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. 
Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Why do you think he had to say it three times? Because he was not strong and he was not very courageous, but he was speaking life into him. That same Joshua, when the angel of the Lord confronted him and Joshua said, are you on their side or our side? Okay. And the angel said, paraphrase, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Again, it's not red or blue. It's purple. It's the kingdom of God. It's transcendent convergence. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid. Okay. Yeah. Him before you, dear. I'm sorry. Hi. Uh, I'm Donald Easterbrooks. Um, my question is, I mean, just multi-generational is difficult in the church. Then you add multi-generational, multi-racial. That is a whole nother gamut of things. Um, Because I think people like to stick to what they know. But in that, is there anybody in Spokane that is currently, you're seeing that multi-generational, multi-racial blend of the church that even to be a part of it or encourage it or to join with that? Yes. There are two things that come immediately to mind. Um, One, there's a circle um, that I'm aware of that's called the Beloved Community Circle. Or table, and and in that table, um, which is expanding, um, there are um, conservative white and um, progressive left folks that are building relationship over time. Um, and I referenced earlier Spokane Praise. Um, you know, you can find it on the website. Uh, and there's movement towards re-engaging across um, our theological, spiritual, ideological differences, okay? And then I will also give a shout out here to our own um, fifth congressional district representative, all right? And something called Peaceful Community Roundtable. And again, so there was a, just a couple of examples, and there are others where there are some good efforts. And again, I point back to what's happening with the Pacific Northwest Church Planning Movement, a network of networks, okay? And, we're, and so let's talk about that a little bit more. You can talk about that with Matt, because we are on that same team, okay? Yeah. Okay, dear. I, can... I'm Diana. And um, last week, we brought a friend of ours, Adrian, to church, and he's African-American and has been living in Louisiana, Shreveport, originally came from New Orleans, and was on Kelly's track team, and has been, you know, has struggled, had been in prison, and our church, Matt included, visited him, um, and Kelly did, and that he came into this church and was a part of our church and got baptized. Well, just last week, you know, he's been gone for a few years. He came because Kelly's mom died, and he loved Kelly's mom and dad, white folk, you know. But um, he came, and um, you guys all that knew him hugged him, loved on him, and just welcomed him back in. And he says, I love this place. He said, I love this place. This is my home. And he's he's driving around, even though Spokane's white, too white in some ways, compared to like Boston, where my niece came from, and all these different places. But um, he loves it. Even though Shreveport, he calls the the black Spokane, because it's, you know, a lot alike. But um, maybe they're going to move back here, okay? But another thing is just engaging in, you know, you guys welcomed him, and I loved, and his wife, Rodlin, and their beautiful children. Now, this, this month is Black History Month, or at least it was. Oh, it still is. Okay. On PBS, I did not want to watch this, but it's the history of hip-hop. There's a whole documentary thing about it. And I just thought, I don't want to go there. This is not where I want to watch. And at first I started watching it. It was just some angry people, black people that were angry. And then I began to look at the history of hip-hop 
and um, how it came out of the streets of New York and how um, it was a place out of poverty where they had nothing, but they had their, you know, they could make noise and they could sing and they could, whatever it is, they had their um, radio, not radio, their turntables or whatever it is. And then just the whole, and then the anger that came out of everything and just learning a little bit about history. And I've only seen the first one, but I thought, you know, I, I watched it and I thought Kelly would like this, especially as Adrian came back into our world this last week, um, just to learn. Maybe we're not gonna be, we don't have that same anger, but we can learn and we can understand and know some of the trauma that some of us have. And all of us have trauma. We all have history. Um, but if you're of color, you're gonna have a different trauma. You know that, anyway, so, just a challenge. See, a challenge and challenge accepted. Okay, and Kelly, um, belated condolences, by the way. Um, the scripture, Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of the Lord is the spirit of prophecy. And I've come to interpret that, that testimonies or stories or the story behind the story, such as what you're describing, is part of what shifts the atmosphere, I believe, as we share each other's stories. Your story, my story, God's story, okay? And the three of those intersecting. And as, as I even receive and hear that testimony and the spirit behind it, you know, I talked about the, the can, can, can. Okay, I get it, all right, and I receive it, but then I share the testimony, all right? And as those type of stories um, are shared and discovered, even behind the scenes, not for broadcast, then I believe that there's a prophetic dimension to it to where the atmosphere changes, okay, and can shift that moves us towards the, um, the manifestation of the transformation in our community. Mm. Is, is that, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll end it there. Rodney and I actually um, <clears throat> unknowingly both participated in a year long world vision racial reconciliation cohort. And it was digital. We were in small groups. We never knew. But for a year, we tracked and had like some of, I think, the best voices in the nation speaking from, you know, the Asian American perspective, the Native American perspective, the African American perspective as followers of Jesus. And you get to the end of this year, you've read all the books, you've prayed all the prayers, you've cried all the tears, and it's like, okay, we're ready. There's hundreds of pastors across the nation all tracking with this thing. What do we do? And that was, that was kind of it. It was like, listen to each other's stories. Not as the ending point, but as the starting point. Be in relationship with each other. Hear each other's stories. Uh, receive that and, and begin walking together uh, closer. So um, let's give it up for Rodney. Rodney, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we, we appreciate you and what you've shared. Uh, we, we ran long, uh, which is totally okay, but we are going to worship here for a few minutes together at the end, so the worship team can head back up. Um, I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then the communion tables are open, so over the course of this next song, you can grab the bread, uh, dip it in the cup. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Uh, take it back to your seat, and uh, we'll take it together at the end of this song, but first I'll pray. Yeah, Jesus, as we um, uh, kind of dip our toes into this topic this morning, gosh, we realize that it's messy. We, re we recognize that, um, as uh, Diana just shared, man, we all have trauma. We all have stuff that the Lord is healing. We all have ways in which we have yet to fully embody uh, the Son of God um, here and now. And so we just come to you, Lord, not with uh, unnecessary guilt uh, or shame or, or things that, uh, that maybe won't be helpful in the long run, but we, we do come with soft hearts, uh, with uh, moldable hearts, with what the scriptures would call repentant hearts that can change direction as they follow the voice of their shepherd. Uh, and so, Lord, we... Uh, we give you our mess, uh, the messiness of our lives, the, the messiness of the inner attitudes of our hearts that sometimes we can't even discern. 
the messiness of being in community, an increasingly diverse community. Uh, and, and yet, Lord, we, we want that because we believe that's the place that you're found. Um, in, in the messiness, not in a neat, tidy tribalism where we just circle up with people just like us, but the kingdom of God is breaking out in, in places where we're all leaning in and saying, yeah, I want the kingdom more than I want my thing, and I consider others above myself. Would you teach us to walk humbly, uh, to love mercy, to love uh, justice, and to step into the messiness as you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. The tables are open. Let's worship. Yes, sir.